family. Good to see all of you here this morning. Good to see any visitors that we have with us as well. If you haven't had a chance to fill out one of these cards that's on the back of the pew in front of you, really would encourage you to do so. Again, we will not sell it or make it, you know, give you a phone call, make sure that your vehicle's warranty is good to go, but we're just looking to have a record of your attendance and to get to know you a little bit better. You will receive a letter in the mail, but that's pretty non-threatening as it, as it comes to things that you get in the mail anyway. want to uh, mention to you, we have our Bible classes for all ages on Wednesday night, and if you haven't been attending that, well, this last Wednesday, you missed some pretty exciting stuff, and I'm not just talking about what the teachers were presenting in the class, yeah, but we all got, all of us who were here that night got to witness the baptism of Isaiah and Isaac, and that was a good time. Uh, they're in Galveston this morning, otherwise we'd have them stand up and be embarrassed so that you could all see them. We'll do that next week because it's coming. But if you get a chance uh, throughout the course of the week, put a card in the mail, maybe send them a, give them a phone call, encouraging them in their decision and what they've done uh, and letting them know that, you know, I think sometimes, especially for our young people, they think of baptism as like just a basic get out of jail free card and you don't have to worry about anything for the rest of your life. Those of us that have lived on this earth long enough, we know that that's not the case. The challenges actually become greater yeah, when you become a Christian because Satan now really starts to work on you because when he didn't have you, you weren't that big of a deal. Or when he did have you, you weren't that big of a deal. But now that he doesn't, he's going to work extra hard on you. So give them some encouragement this week. Uh, if you didn't notice at the beginning of the slideshow, there were a bunch of pictures from Journey Back to School that happened last week. That was a fantastic time. I think we had a little over 90 families come through to receive school supplies, backpacks, haircuts, wellness checks, bouncy houses, painted faces, hot dogs. Some of us had more hot dogs than others. Right, Nick? If we were giving out certificates for most hot dogs eaten, I think it would be a split, an even split between Nick and Marshall. They ate 11. And then they started drinking water. And all those hot dog buns in their bellies just went and expanded. If we were get, or most face paint taken off, I think that would be Isaiah. Most face paint applied and kept would be Lucy. But it was a good time, and I think everyone enjoyed their time together as we were serving the community. Yeah, so keep your eyes and ears open for next, the next opportunity that comes up where you can serve in that capacity and do those things. Tonight, by the way, happens to be another one of those opportunities. We're going to have a youth-led Devo tonight. <clears throat> I'd encourage all of you to be here. The elders would encourage all of you to be here uh, to encourage those young men as they lead us in the worship tonight. I know Bud's been working with them for a month at least. Yeah, getting them ready for tonight, and so I'm looking forward to that. Life groups. You should have gotten a letter in the mail unless your name is Raymond and Mary Spears. Because everybody else got stamps on their envelope except for Raymond and Mary Spears. <laughs> it's coming. We put an envelope on it. We put it back in the mailbox, so you guys should get that this week. But if you have not gotten your letter in the mail... Uh, see me so we can get you hooked up with who your leader is. Your leaders will be reaching out to you as we're kicking that off on September 5th. And finally, before we, or no, two things, one more, two more things before we get into the lesson. Next Sunday, raise your hand if you are a student going to school. 
There you go. Some of us are like, I think I'm a... Yes, all of you on the front pew, raise your hand. Bring your backpacks and your school supplies next week. Next week, next Sunday, we're going to do the backpack blessing for all of our current students going to school. Yeah, is the plan to accomplish that next Sunday morning. And before we get into the lesson, I want to just give you some words from the elders about everything that's going on right now in the state of the COVID. They encourage each of us to exercise common sense. If you're sick or you feel sick, stay home. It, was, it would be what we would do if we had the flu or any other kind of uh, virus or bug that we would be carrying around. And that uh, as it pertains to worship, I think that they're looking toward the guidance of Paul in Romans chapter 14. Let each be convinced in their own mind of how they're going to behave and make your own decisions for yourself and your family. And that is their encouragement to each of us uh, during the time period that we're living in right now. With that being said, let's get into the lesson. Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over there. We're going to spend some time in Mark 8 as we look at a certain section of that text, seeing how Jesus is leading us. Yeah, but I'm going to kind of age myself a little bit and allow you guys to age yourself some too. I'm going to say some words. Raise your hand if you recognize uh, the whole story behind what I'm about to say. Uh, for instance, TWA flight 847. Yep, okay. Uh, what about American Airlines 11 and 77? Okay, some of you guys are on that. What about United Airlines 93 and 175? Okay, maybe. Anybody tell us what those, what happened with those airline flights? They were hijacked. There's some of the more famous hijackings uh, in history. And, and you think about a hijacking and what happens to us emotionally the minute you hear about those types of things. The blood pressure goes up, stress level goes through the roof. Uh, not even being on board, but we hear about those things and we hear how horrible the situation must be for the individuals that are in those types of scenarios. And we really do feel for them because how many of us really like the idea of being hijacked? I mean, just think about it for a second. Do you want your life and all choice taken completely away from you? No, none of us do. And I'm not saying that that's the case because we're Americans. I'm saying that because that's just a normal case of people. That's a human condition. And whether it's a car, an airplane, a boat, uh, the whole point of a hijacking is to force or manipulate others into doing what you want them to do. And ultimately, guys, that's a manifestation of selfishness. That is, you want your way all the time, and you want everybody else to see things and do things your way as well. Uh, and even if all you want is three cheeseburgers, a rental car, and a head start, you're going to try and probably force a way into getting what you want, okay? That is the nature of humans. And whether we like to admit that or not, we need to understand that that is how most people operate. What's the basic rule of life? And you've all heard it. Who are we supposed to be looking out for? Number one. That is what we, we are told is normal. And people have and probably will continue to get their own way, uh, even though re in reality that's not always possible. But have we ever stopped to consider 
that the more important a subject is, the less say we actually have in that subject? You know, it, it, have you ever had those conversations where you're like, where do you want to go eat lunch? And we'll probably have these conversations today. In Jeremy's opinion, lunch is just not that big of a deal. All right? I know it looks like, it looks differently when you look at my body, but lunch is just not that big of a deal. And where you eat really isn't that big of a deal either. And so you can have those conversations and maybe you're in a group of 10 people and everybody has an opinion about what they want to eat. Does it, nobody gets in a knockdown drag out fight over those things because it doesn't matter. And I think most people actually understand that it doesn't matter. And in those matters of least importance, we, have, we can each have equal say and, and just have a good time with that. But I want us to pay attention to what's happening in Mark chapter eight. We're gonna start reading in verse 27. And we're gonna read through a little bit here to see what's happening in the story here that Mark presents. So this is starting in verse 27, and most of us are familiar with this passage, and that's okay. Starts out, he says, Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he questioned his disciples, saying to them, who do the people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. He continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you're the Christ. And he, that's Jesus, warned them, not, warned them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's interest. Now, notice what's happening in the story. Jesus having a friendly conversation with his disciples as they're walking down the road, and he says, hey, guys, real quick, who do, who do the people say that I am? I guess we could think of this in terms of Jesus Googling himself, right, to see what the people are saying about him and, and what kind of information is out there. And so they say, hey, you know, Master, some say that you're Elijah, some say you know, you're one of the prophets. There's all these different opinions about who you are as the people are talking about you. But then he says, all right, well, that's, that's good to know. But who do you guys say that I am? Now, Peter, we're told Peter is the one that answered. And I'm gonna give you a quick little sidebar here. I'm convinced that the reason we see Peter answering these questions and speaking for the disciples over and over and over again is because he's the oldest. He's the only one that's married, and so they're gonna, he becomes the de facto mouthpiece for the disciples. And he says, because Jesus says, who do you, that's all of you, say that I am, Peter says, we think you're the Christ. You're the Christ. That's who we say you are. And Jesus says, okay, that's fantastic. But I don't want you to tell anybody about this just yet because there's some information that you need to understand about the Christ. And so he begins to teach the disciples that the Christ is going to be rejected by the leadership and he's going to be killed. And then he's going to be raised from the dead. And this does not sit well with Peter at all. I don't know how often we actually pay attention to the text here. Do you see what Peter did? He grabs, it's kind of like what, what we do with our children. You grab that elbow and you're like, come here a second. You need some education. Because obviously you, we say you're the Christ, but you don't understand what the Christ is all about. So I'm going to rebuke you over here and give you some explanation on what the Christ actually is. To Peter's mind, what Jesus says 
makes no sense whatsoever. Because in popular opinion of the Christ, the words suffer and Christ do not go together. Okay? This would be, uh, to hear the word suffering Christ would be like a phrase of under, underachieving all-star or most valuable loser. He can't fathom the idea that Jesus is presenting to him about who the Christ is and what the Christ is going to have to go through. It's an oxymoron to Peter. So it must, Jesus is just talking nonsense, and so Peter is going to square him away on this, and he takes him aside for a little bit of a rebuke. And can you imagine what that conversation looked like? I'm kind of glad that Mark doesn't give us everything that Peter says here. But just imagine that conversation where the student, the disciple, is telling the master how it is. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on God's interest. You're setting your mind on man's interest. See, there was the, there's the Messiah the people wanted Jesus to be. There's, and the Messiah that God intended Jesus to be. And those are two very different ideas. Right? Sometimes I think when we start thinking about Jesus and, and who he is and all that he's accomplished, I think that we want the, that Arnold Schwarzenegger type Messiah who's going to come riding in on a white horse with machine guns screaming hasta la vista baby as he's just blowing away all of our enemies is, is the idea of what we think and what we want Jesus to be. Jesus, Christians want Jesus to ride up, silencing all of the critics, shaming all of our adversaries. We want him to be this mighty warrior who's going to vindicate our rights and show the world how right we are and how wrong they are. But if Jesus didn't fit the idea of what the Christ is to his disciples, is it possible that we have also fallen into that same trap? And that we're putting our interests first through all of this? See, if we believe Jesus to be the Messiah, if we believe Jesus is the Christ, which, by the way, if you were baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, that's kind of one of those sticking points on that thing, right? You had to actually make that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That if we believe that he is the Christ, then guess whose view of the Christ we must adopt? It must be God's view of who the Christ is. That we can't, hear me clearly, we can't be followers of Jesus unless we accept God's definition of Jesus. We don't get to hijack Jesus. That is not why he came. That falls outside the realm of our responsibilities and our purview. And understand, when I say we don't get to hijack Jesus, this is simply hijacking Jesus in order to make him conform to our interests and our wants. that acknowledging Jesus for who he is, making that confession, must be given from God's view. 
It must be from his point of view. And that's why Jesus continues in Mark chapter eight. And he says, he summoned, or Mark says, he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, what's the first thing he has to do? He has to deny himself. He has to get rid of his viewpoint. He must take up his cross, which by the way, I think I've mentioned this before. I'll continue to mention it. Anytime somebody says, take up your cross, if you were living under the days of the Romans, that only meant one thing, death, okay? You must take up your cross and follow me. I love that Jesus doesn't say, hey, guys, anybody wants to come after me, you got to deny himself, take up his cross and follow yourself. And follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, which by the way, we're going to come back to that here in a second. Whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. That concept of being ashamed of Jesus means that you have, a tri you have attempted to hijack him and put your interests and views on him because you're ashamed of what he did for you. And who in their right mind would be ashamed of what Jesus did for them? Boy, we don't often think of that, do we? That when we start putting our interest in trying to get Jesus to conform to our view and our way of thinking, that that's proof of our shame of him. And Jesus looks at us and says, oh, okay, I kind of see how it is. You're ashamed of me? Well, that kind of goes both ways there, buddy. And I think one of the biggest challenges we face in our modern day of Christianity in, in terms of trying to conform Jesus to our viewpoint of what Christianity is, is we get really comfortable in what we think Christianity is. For instance, I think that we think that being a Christian is just merely getting religious on Sundays and Wednesdays. Not realizing that Jesus doesn't call us to a two hour a week change, but calling us to an actual lifestyle change, total lifestyle, right? That our decision to constant, consciously yield control, to deny self, extends to every part of our lives. Which means that if we're holding something back and not allowing Jesus in to take control of that, we have hijacked Jesus. We're ashamed of him. We're ashamed of what he can do for us. That this is meant to be a complete and utter recreation of us. Go back to our reading in, in Psalm 19 real quick, guys. this confession that we make and allowing Jesus into all aspects of our lives, listen to what the psalmist says again. Who can discern his errors? Real quick, the simple answer to that question that the psalmist asks is God. 
He's the one who can discern error. See, I think the, the challenge we face is we're trying to figure out what our errors are and what our errors aren't, is that we don't let God do it and we're trying to determine and define what error is. If we just let God in, we wouldn't have a problem with it. And so he says, who can discern his errors? Equip me of hidden faults. And these can be things that we've, we've purposely kept back or maybe we just don't even know about, but we're willing to open up completely for God to look through all of our lives and figure out where we're wrong and, and that we can make those corrections. And he says, keep me back, keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. This is shaking your fist in the face of God. Let them not rule over me. And, and when, we, when these things are accomplished, he says, I will be blameless. I'll be acquitted of great transgression. And, then he, and how do we do this? How do we let Jesus in? How do we allow this control? How do, what's the easiest way for us to turn over, to deny ourselves? And he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It must be turned over to him because we're taking, th we're taking the view of life, we're viewing Christianity through God's lens on this. He's the source, he and he's the foundation. And that means if we're taking God's interest and understand this is God's interest in everything, all of it, if we're taking God's interest into our lives, that means we will be traveling a road less traveled. That means that we will travel a road that means pain and suffering. That means we will be traveling a road that will have disappointments. And of course, the paradox that Jesus outlines for us in those following verses that we read is that it's on this road where we find out what true life is actually all about. What true freedom is all about. Jesus' words here impress upon us the importance of letting God's interest supersede our own. Pushing our agenda, trying to manipulate, all of those things that we do just puts us in the same position as Peter. You know, and I think... I don't think we have a hard time seeing things God's way. I don't think we do. I think we have a hard time submitting to doing things God's way. See, it's not about seeing things clearly. I think we see them clearly and we look at it and go, whoa. Boy, if I'm going to be doing that, that goes completely against my preconceived notions and ideas of what my life is supposed to be like. Which, by the way, is exactly what Peter was doing here, wasn't it? I think our challenge is actually submitting to doing things God's way. Have you hijacked Jesus? Have you attempted to force and manipulate your view and your way onto him and what he says Christianity is actually supposed to be about? You need to let go of that. You need not to be ashamed of the truth of the master. You need not to be ashamed to actually live the truth of the master. To let go of your interests and grab on with both hands of God's interests.
If you're struggling with that this morning, when we stand and sing the song that Austin has for us, this is an opportunity. An opportunity that you have to make the confession yet again that Christ is Lord. And not just Lord in certain parts of our life where we're comfortable, but he is Lord in all aspects of our life. And we're willing to deny ourselves, die daily, and follow him. And maybe you're ready to take that initial step of following, be, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. This is that opportunity where we can, you can make that great confession before all of us. And those of us that have made that confession will understand that how absolutely serious that confession is and the life change that it brings about. And you can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Whatever it is that the body can do for you. If you need prayers, you need comfort, you need support, encouragement, counsel. The elders are available either in the front as we sing or after worship, they'll be in this back room over here if you need to have a conversation with them then. But whatever it is that we can do for you, we encourage you to make that known by coming forward while we stand and sing.